<laughs> oh my goodness, dude, the bedazzling. I know. It's good, huh? It's amazing. And it actually brings me back my grandmother. Wait, go like this. What did I just see on those? <laughs> dude, my grandmother, my dad's mom was huge into turquoise. And I remember she wore this really big ring. I think she had like a chunky, chunky necklace, a little bit different than yours. But like, dude, you are all about, tell me. So, man, all right. Well, first first off, I'm doing these podcasts slash Zooms with cyclists that can add value to other cyclists that are going to watch us rather than just like, hey, man, who are you? Tell me about how cool you are. And you have a vast array of experience, knowledge, coaching as a racer, all these different disciplines. So before we get into all these jewels and where you are at and what's behind you, hit me with three things that you think are holding cyclists back from achieving their goals. Uh, yeah. Like in regards to just anything that you've seen, whether you've been racing someone and you're like, dude, I always beat this guy. Cause I know he does that and that's wrong. Or an athlete who's like a mental case and freaks out too much and like overthinks things or that, that would be my number one for everybody. Yeah. Just the whole aspect of it, right? Yeah. It's like I used to have this problem when I started racing. And you can – this problem can be, like, in just a majority of life as well. But, like, you show up to a start line and you're, like – if you're not, like, real secure with what you're doing, mm-hmm. you show up to the start line and you're, like, man, all these dudes on the start line have, like, the best gear or they're, like – they look way fitter than me or their kit's way cooler than me or whatever. You know what I mean? So, like, you show up. And you automatically just start downplaying like, okay, well, I'm probably going to get 10th or 15th or 20th or something like that. Right. And it's just like a really inferior way of, of looking at things where if you're on the start line and they're on the start line, you dudes are evenly matched. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter what happened yesterday or the day before or the day before that, you know? So like, I think the mental aspect of that and overcoming that barrier is kind of the biggest thing, you know? Mm-hmm um and then just do you think let me a quick question of kind of follow up on that do you think that that's something that you need to prepare for how do you overcome that barrier like are you ha- telling yourself before the race like hey i know i'm gonna get there and i'm gonna get intimidated don't think like that brandon or are yeah. you is it something that grows with experience or you know what i think i think you- racing i think racing more often in a short period of time mm-hmm. right so like you know, like your try guys and stuff like that, they'll like, they'll train, 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 train for like two races a year. Right. Right. Whereas like as a cyclist and like a cyclist like myself, where I'm multidisciplined, like I'll race cross or I'll race road or I'll do time trials or I'll race mountain bikes or endurance or whatever. It's like, you just show up every weekend and sometimes you get your butt kicked. Sometimes you don't. So then you just learn really fast. You're like, it doesn't matter who's there, what's there, whatever. It's a new day. It's a new time. It's a new start line. And you just come in ready to fight and just ready to battle, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's been the biggest thing to me because I always, like growing up, I always was somewhat insecure about that, right? Mm-hmm. So cycling kind of changed that for me as I started coming up the ranks and getting better. Mm-hmm. Is that It was like, okay – it's not a fashion show. It's not who has the most money. It's who's got the most heart and who's willing to suffer the most. Right. You know, 
it's really experience and racing. I have, you know, especially when you get masters athletes or just people that are getting into the sport and they're like, well, I'm going to do a race every month. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. It's just really hard to get good when you're racing once every four weeks. Like you forget a lot of stuff. You've only then over a summer, you've done five or six races. And it's like, I remember the first big race I went to, it was Baton Kill. So there's 3000 people there. I wasn't thinking like, dude, it's going to take you 20 minutes to park. You're going to have to literally find where registration is. You're right. like, there was, oh, I was like, <laughs> me thinking of like, as you know, like I like to plan and be like in control of my schedule. I was like, ah, what's happening right I bet you were flipping out. Yeah, for you sure. Know, like it just, yeah. my teammates were like, oh my God, dude, you're just calm down. I'm like, but we're supposed to be doing this right now. <laughs> right. Like, so, no, this is my schedule. I have to do this warm up X amount of time before I start. And I'm over here trying to find a porta john that's got. Yeah. Right? I'm like you know? hitting a number like I should be pooping right now. What is going on? Right, 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 right. Yeah. So keep on that thread. That's a really good tip of mental. And I, I, there's a couple other pieces I want to hit on that later from uh, your cross uh, big victory or yeah, cross baby masters. But what are a couple other things that you think you've seen that that derails people? <sighs> I don't, you know, I mean, like family's kind of a tough one, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's really easy to make excuses. You know what I mean? Like, especially guys our age that, you know, end up having kids or whatever, right on down the line. It's like, it's so easy to be like, well, I feel guilty and I want to go hang out with my kid and this and that. But at the end of the day, you have to have your time, right? And cycling doesn't take up that much time. You know what I mean? Like you're putting in, 20 plus hour weeks right now i see your instagram feed and it's kind of making me jealous i'm like that that one yesterday about you suffering super hard i was like man i wish i could go suffer super hard like that right now but i'm just not motivated to train like that you know yeah Uh, but yeah like like kids and kids and family are tough because before that happens it's really easy to just go train because you can just be selfish right Mm -hmm. but then you have kids and i have a lot of buddies that are like this that have a ton of talent that are more talented than I am, right? That have more drive than I do, but they don't want to go train or go to the race because it takes too much time away from family and their spouse or or significant other just aren't into it, you know? Mm -hmm. So to me, that's like, I think once you can like handle that family aspect and as coaches, you know, we, we deal with, you know, we deal with younger people, but we also deal with people that have families and have careers and whatnot. And as a cycling coach, I feel like part of my job as a coach is to be and help out with that lifestyle part of it, to be able to totally. do both, right? And, and be able to be there and listen. And, like, it's not just about getting a workout on Training Peaks or whatever program you use. It's about, like, you have to talk people through it and, and coach the spouse and have the schedule written up so everybody knows because – because everybody wants their time together, right? Dude, and, that's- and I had an athlete that literally I'm talking to him like, yo, are you ready for the race this week? And he's like, well, I have to talk to my wife about it. And I'm like, dude, the race is in three days. She doesn't know about this? He's like, no, nah, right, I'm trying right. to slip this one in. And I'm like, she should have known a month ago, and you should have flowers on the way to, like, yeah. lube that. And- yeah, exactly. And so we have this- something cool planned for the next day to where they can go out to lunch or she I'm can go. Look forward to. Like, let yeah. them know they're more important than the bike because they are. 
And I think also though, a lot of people too, that's the problem with social media. Like back when, I mean, you've been writing more than I have, but when I first started, there was no Strava. There was no, like I was blogging about stuff and people were like, Hey man, it's not cool to talk about power numbers. And I'm like, I really, and I kind of got like intimidated by it. But I was like, I like talking about this. Like no one, how do you know what anyone else is doing? Right. And no one knew what anyone was doing. People were okay training 10 hours and going to a race. Now yeah. that they see their buddy training 15 hours, they're like, I can't do that. And I'm like, you really can. You don't have to. 15 hours is a lot of time training. I never trained that much. And I came yeah. up through the ranks just fine. But now that we have everybody to compare on Strava and Johnny just did an 80-mile ride and Chris is doing this, it's like back to the mental. I'm not good enough. I'm not training it, it's enough. It's so easy to get intimidated by that. It's so Dude, easy to get intimidated by it's that. like people you – know? D-bags like me are like putting up Instagram. He's like, these are the watts I did. Da, 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 da. Right. And throughout- I'm like, man, this guy just rode 150 miles and he's knocking out 550 plus watts for three to four minutes. I'm like, dude, well, definitely not going to go to that race that he shows up to. <laughs> <laughs> or, or I'm just late. I mean, that's the thing. I have no races. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to go lay out what I got and put this training to some use. And like, no, I, I actually love that, man. It's, it's inspiring me to, to get back on it because you know my injury was such a big deal for me a couple of months ago so well, tell me about that it's uh it's been hard it's been hard yeah we'll get into that but it's been hard making that transition back you know because of all the stuff we have going on right now so totally yeah so do you have a number three or should we parlay into that because i think that's a good i want to get the interim but i really wanted to hit. people have commented like dude i like that your stuff is like no fluff you have no intro there's no graphics you're just like uh, hey what's up this is what we're talking about yeah no i was like, like hit be money with the comment be money with the question like how do we make people better yeah. uh, what's number three uh oh, i thought we were gonna transition um so I'll put you on the spot again yeah. Uh, so we got like the mental thing. We got like the family thing, man. I, I think, so I think, I think for me, those have been the, the hardest to, mm-hmm. to do. And for most of the guys I coach that, cause most of them are, are grown adults, you know, so that's, that's the biggest thing. Um, Let's I leave it yeah, that I know, yeah. I don't know off the top of my head what number three would be, but I'm going to bring it up if, if I think about it while we're talking. Okay. Cool. So, okay. So meandering Malats. So if you want to follow him on Instagram, it's at B Money Racing. There's an underscore in there somewhere now, in between money. I and couldn't racing. tell you where it's at either. Yeah, look <laughs> uh, meandering Malats is our uh, it's our travel page. Yeah, yeah, so you're traveling, but you had an accident. What's give us a quick recap of uh, where you've been at, what you're doing right now, how you got? Yeah, so, yeah, you like them? So yeah. Um, I worked really hard last year to get a handful of rental properties. Uh, that's kind of what I do back home, you know, mm-hmm. when I'm not coaching. Um, and mm-hmm. it, it gives me a lot of time to train and travel. Uh, so we left in, in mid-May, my wife and I did, with our son, two-year-old son, and uh, just started heading west. We just kind of had this idea to go travel for a couple years and do it. While what everybody else refers to as the best time, but there's no best time. I mean, the best time to do anything is right now. You know, I mean, yeah. procrastination is a super negative thing in your life. So if you want to do anything in life, take the steps to knock it out and knock it out and just go for it. Right. So, yeah. So we had this whole plan. I bought this trailer. I rehabbed it. You've been in it. You stayed in it last year. You know, got the, the van and the trailer. And it's you had me almost ready to buy one. Right. I was right. like, she just about to pull the trigger. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we went to Taos first, which is about eight hours from Oklahoma city. Uh, New Mexico. And I was Taos, New Mexico. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. It's Northern New Mexico, ton of history there. It's actually one of the oldest inhabited places, continually inhabited places in the U S. Wow. Okay. So from the ancient, like Anasazi Indians, have you heard of them? No. Have you heard of, of any uh, like Chaco Canyon or Mesa Verde. So this is where they had built these communities into these like really tall cliff overhangs wow. and built these adobes into them. Right. So anyways, these things date back like almost 2000 years. So like literally almost as old as the story of Christ. Right. right. But here in the U S you know, right. so, and these, these tribes have lived in this area for this long, like the same families have lived in the same places for hundreds, if not, you know, a thousand, 2000 years. So anyways, it's a crazy cool place. Tons of good writing. Um, very like spiritual, right? Like, yeah. uh, you have like big mountains, you have the Rio Grand Gorge, a ton of the area was built by volcanoes over time. So you have like tectonic shift and volcanoes and rivers and natural hot springs, just really beautiful place. Right. So we love going there. So it was kind of one of the first places we wanted to go on wow. our trip because we've been there numerous times. And uh, I was on a bike ride, mountain bike ride, four days into the trip. It's a trail from Angel Fire to Taos. It's called the South Boundary Trail. I think it's South Boundary of Carson National Forest, which is the forest that you're in. Okay. And uh, yeah, I had just come over the big climb and it's like a 20 mile descent back to town. And I've rented a ton of times. And something stupid happened. I just, I clipped my pedal on a tree going about 30 probably on a, on like a bench cut, you know, hillside and just sent it down the hill. <laughs> yeah, it was stupid. Without the bike. Yeah. Broke all my ribs on my right side. Yeah. Broke my hip in three spots. So I broke my acetabulum, which is like your uh, hip socket, right? Mm -hmm. And then underneath your hip is called your ischium. Um, so it's basically your sit bone. So I broke that completely off. I broke it in two spots. Oof. Um, yeah. Uh, so it was pretty, pretty brutal. Sitting and though, so my... The recovery is happening. Well, so I'll, I'll get to that here in a second. Oh God. So my piriformis muscle, which is the muscle that allows your leg to lift up, it sits under your glute. Mm -hmm. I tore that. Mm. Um, so I couldn't lift my leg for like probably six weeks, you know, after the accident. So anyways, back to the day of the accident have the wreck, knock myself out. I wake up, I'm by myself, you know, and it's the middle of May. Always so. what scared me about mountain biking, man. Like yeah. I'm mountain not biking by yourself scary because you're like on a trail like that, you're just kind of like way in the middle of nowhere, right? Nowhere. Yeah. I mean, if you wreck like that on the road, you just lay there and somebody's probably going to drive by. And if they're a good person, they'll help you out, you know, but I'm like, there's nobody that's going to help me out. I have to help myself out. So um, I grab my phone and I had one bar serviced on my phone, which blew my mind. So I called my dad because where Lindsay and I were camping, we didn't have any service, right? We were camping at an RV park at the time. Um, and we had no cell service in the Canyon. So I called my dad and, you know, I'm hyperventilating and I'm like, Hey dad, shut up and listen, this is my situation. I'm pretty messed up. Lindsay needs to meet me at this certain point. And she knew where it was. And I knew where it was because we both, been up there it's like this park yeah. it's called garcia park it's kind of up like an eight mile like jeep track trail to get to it so 
it was a five mile hike for me to get there. And I was like, it's going to take me about two hours. Right. And it actually took me like right at two hours, you know, but at that point it was, it was like mind over matter. Like I got a hold of my dad. I knew he, whatever happened, he was going to get a hold of her and she was going to be there. Mm-hmm. So the entire hike down, which I use my bike as a crutch mm-hmm. and I would get on and kind of one leg pedal as much as I could, but I couldn't really pedal cause I couldn't move my, I couldn't lift my leg out of the way. My leg was just like dead weight, right? Just hanging there. And uh, so, yeah, I just, I made it happen and I got, I got to the meetup point and it was like, you know, being by myself for so long was really scary. Right. And then, but I knew she was going to be there. Right. So when I, when I first saw the van, I'm like, Oh my God, this is like, this is the greatest, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. Right. Like I don't care how long it takes to get to the hospital. I don't care how messed up I am. I don't care how much money it costs. I'm just happy to be in the van with my wife and my son. And it like brings tears to my eyes thinking about it because I didn't really freak out like when it happened. Right. Like you think in your mind, you're like, man, if that ever happened, I don't know how I'd handle it. But I think like the power of your mind and the power of your willpower, like really will put you on this other level of what you think you're capable of. Right. Like just way past what you think you're capable of. Right. If that makes sense, you know, so, but, uh, but yeah, it was was definitely scary. And I think about it all the time. Like, like, well, what if, what if I paralyzed myself or what if I broke my femur? Cause I first thought I broke my femur when it happened. And I was like, well, what if that happened? Well, if that happened, I was just going to be laying there for a while until somebody came by because if I couldn't move, it just was going to be what it was going to be, you know? So. Dude, that's yeah, insane. Definitely, that's definitely yeah, scary. There's on the Joe Rogan podcast was this guy, Jordan Jonas, who won this show alone. I never heard of this. I don't really watch much TV, but I've actually watched a couple episodes. They fly you out into the middle of nowhere in the Arctic and basically drop you. And there's 10 people and it's good luck. And you have, you've never scouted oh, wow. the area. And so most people by like day six, they're like, I got to kill something to eat. Um, and it's the guy just on the podcast was really interesting. But when you're talking about being alone on that period and like listening to this other guy, like it, it's made me, I've been on like a gravel ride in Arkansas up in Hardy, like on some Hills and I've had a flat or a mechanical. I'm like, God, what happens if like something happens? There's nobody out here. And that's way yeah. less, that's way more towards humanity than where you were or this other guy. I mean, it's just when you're out there by yourself, it's a whole new ball game. It is. It is. Yeah, for sure. But, um, but you can, like so I you, said, like, sorry, um, yeah. you could, your mind will, when you're in those situations, because of the things you do every day, because of the training and because of just how mentally persistent people like us are, right? When, when you're put in that situation, like unwillingly, like just out of the blue, it's amazing what you're able to accomplish and yeah. what you're able to like, what, sure. what barriers you're able to conquer, you know? Yeah. So, so you're in the hospital, you stay in Taos then for a while. Yeah. I was in the hospital for a couple of days, ended up getting a hotel when I got out because I needed like a handicap bathroom. I was pretty okay. immobile. Um, okay. So I stayed there for a week and then we went back to the campground and stayed there for like another five or six weeks. We left in early July. Okay. Um, we stayed for the fourth. So I think we left like the fifth or sixth or something. Mm-hmm. Like but yeah, we've been on the road 
<laughs> traveling since then, like we'll move every week to two weeks, wherever we're at. Um, and just kind of stay and hang out and enjoy the area. It's kind of home base in an area and look for all the free camping everywhere we go. And we've been camping in some beautiful spots. So. Dude, it's looked incredible. And yeah. I was actually just reading, I was looked on Facebook this morning, your top 10 things of like your recap was absolutely hysterical. And I laugh at you like I might be changing my name from Be Money to Be Dazzled. And uh, I appreciate you bringing the gems on because that's it's just yeah. so awesome. Um, so what's the, have you been, are you from OKC originally? From OKC. I've okay. only ever been OKC. So this what's is the, the longest amount of consistent time that I've been away from home. And same with Lindsay. This is the longest amount of time she's been away from home. So. And so you guys are going to be on the road for about another year? Yeah. So the, so the plan is, is to be home maybe late March. Okay. Anything before late March in Oklahoma is kind of cold. So yeah. late March, uh, most of our rental stuff turns over in April. So I figured I'd just be home in case I had any tenant swaps um, and then to sign leases. And then our plan next year is going to be East coast, maybe cool. South and East and then back around. Yeah. Dude, then get down to Florida the next winter and uh, let's do some riding there. It's incredible. Yeah, that, that definitely could work. Dude, yeah. it's super awesome. What's the, uh, what's, before we get to you being a four-time national champion, which is incredible, what's, so what's the origin story of you and riding a bike? Just something you've always been doing? And how did that kind of parlay into racing at some point? Yeah, so I, uh, so like kids, we all kind of grow up on bikes, you know, well, at least I did, right? Not everybody does, I did, right? and then put it down, just because. Yeah. Because other stuff, right? You cars. Know? Yeah. So I had a, I had a next door neighbor growing up um that raced bmx mm -hmm. and he was like my he was a couple years older than me he was my brother's age so you know like when you're a kid you're like five and some other kids like eight or nine or whatever you just kind of look up to him you know yeah. what i mean it's just kind of how it goes right yeah um so i always just rode and like kind of wanted to be like him and then when i you know i played soccer at the time so i was pretty athletic you know like you know doing that whole thing and then like one day I just told my dad, I was like, Hey dad, I want to quit playing soccer. I just want to start racing BMX. Like, you think that's something we could do and like do together, you know? And my dad grew up racing motorcycles. So he kind of knew yeah. what that like dirt bikes, he kind of knew what that took. So we just started going to the track when I was 10, started racing BMX when I was 11 and then did the whole like BMX thing. Like I rode skate parks and we built our own dirt jumps and I kind of did all that while I was racing. And then I quit racing about 15 um, when I kind of got into high school, but I kept riding BMX. Like it was, I, I lived it. I ate it. I slept, I, you know, I went to sleep thinking about it, watched videos all day long. Like that yeah. was my life through high school. Right. Um, and then after high school, I kind of put it down a little bit and took like a year off from everything and did what most people do and probably partied way too hard kind of thing, you know? So um, you know, you know, the drill. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, so I did that. And then I had a buddy that I kind of rode BMX with, but he was more into mountain bike racing and he was a couple years older than me and we're still good buddies now. Um, but he got me on a mountain bike while I was like smoking cigarettes and drinking way too much beer and stuff like that. So this was in my early twenties. Okay. Um, started my first race was when I was 21 okay on a mountain bike and i'm 36 now so i've been consistently racing since then right on mountain bikes 
uh, picked up racing the road a little over a decade ago. I think 09 was like the first, first year I did that, you know, I cat it up pretty quick. I think I cat it up to a two by like 2011 or something yeah. kind of just mixed between that and mountain and then picked up cross. And then I got to the point about six or seven years ago, I was still boozing pretty hard. And I was like, I think I'm just going to quit drinking. I think I'm going to see how far I can take this. Right. I never had any aspirations of being like a paid pro at the time or anything like that. I just wanted to see how good I could be for myself. Um, And then that's when my, my training and my, my nutrition and my sleeping and my confidence, right. And my security with what I was doing. It's better surprisingly. Well, it's crazy because it's like all these exponential curves of greatness and like all these things you're doing. And when you're talking about cycling and something where marginal gains are so beneficial, mm-hmm. you have these exponential increases. It just goes from here to here, like super quick. Right. Yeah. So then you just kind of have to manage that in your own head. And then I just kind of got to the point where it was like, okay, if I train this certain way year round, then no matter what race I want to go do, I'm only like two to three weeks out from polishing up my form mm-hmm. to be, you know, 95 to hundred percent at that stuff. Right. Yeah. So that to me was like the hardest part was like getting to that point. And then once I did, it was like, okay, I want to go here. I want to go here. I want to do this. I want to do that. And it kept it really fun for me. So I was just having, I was winning a lot of stuff and I was having a lot of fun because it's always more fun when you're winning. Totally. Winning is awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's man. It's so I have a bunch of questions stemming from that. What do you, how do you think? Cause now people will hear being like, man, this guy's talking about, he can go race all year. I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm like, there is a way to do a lot. You have to be eating clean, taking care of your body, not hitting the booze. Like people don't understand that. Like, well, I'm just going to get, you know, trash a few times on this weekend and that week. And like, they don't realize how far back that takes them. Um, I think for myself, I just kidded myself for a long time about like the, the, I wouldn't want to say like the damage, but like what it took away from me as an athlete. Um, how do you see, cause one of my things was going to be what you've made a successful transition from being a mountain biker to a road racer. Then you're saying, you know, gravel cross, you know, sometimes you have mountain bikers that they struggle with the road. Cause like the cadence of the race is a lot different. It's, um, how do you see an athlete yourself or others being successful in so many different disciplines when things are like all year round now, like you can, you can race. I mean, till November, December and cross January go South and there's road races starting in February. Like how do you pick choose? Like, I don't know. It's a big wide open question, but there's a lot. Yeah. So I think what I did, um, so most people's like base training, right. Is from like maybe late October till like February, right. It's like those three to four months through the winter, you know, I was fortunate enough that there was a couple race promoters in Oklahoma that would do these like four to six hour endurance mountain bike races Mm -hmm. in that time. And then there's a lot of endurance mountain bike racing in Texas. So less than a seven to eight hour drive, like at the most, some of them were like three to four hours. Mm-hmm. Dallas has a, has an organization called Dorba that had a really cool series 
and they'd be like every other weekend and it'd be these six hour races. Right. Mm -hmm. So that was my base training. Right. So I would go down there and make, make money, make four or 500 bucks a weekend if I won to go train and then I'd stay for free somewhere. So I was making a little bit of cash to pay for my weekend. Right. Which that never is really a factor for me. I just, I love racing. So if it pays, it pays. If it doesn't pay, it doesn't pay. Right. Mm -hmm. But I would use that stuff as my training instead of doing these big five, six, seven hour rides back home on the road, I would just do them on the mountain bike. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I would supplement. I would also do that stuff on the, on the road when I wasn't racing. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would do those transitions that would set me up for road season in Oklahoma because all the road races were earlier than the crits. Mm -hmm. So you'd have road racing, you know, February, March, and April, maybe into early May. And then crit season would come about when I'm tired of like, you know, riding that much time. Yeah. Right. I'd stop that in like March and I'd start, you know, doing more like Tabata type stuff or just shorter, like 90 second, maybe two minute VO2 work mm -hmm. stuff. So I would get ready for crit season and by that time, it was great because I had all this base and I wouldn't have to, I wouldn't really have to train. I just like commute to work on my bike, you know, do some, some standing start sprints from like stoplights, right? A couple of times on my way to work and on my way yeah. home and then I'd race on the weekend, right? So I would utilize my, my, because I would commute pretty much every day. So I would utilize my commute. It would be, it was the perfect training because now you're getting two a day workouts you're doing one in the morning, so you're getting your metabolism jacked up, right? Mm -hmm. Then you're high like from the ride all day at work, and you're happy, and your metabolism's high. You're eating good food. Mm -hmm. Then you do something similar on the way home, right? Or like a workout on the way home that would complement it, you know? Yeah. So those were easy transitions for me. And then where I'm from in Oklahoma, it's probably like where you're living right now. It's really hot and humid in the summer. Mm -hmm. So – after Tulsa tough in early June, I would take like six to eight weeks off from racing, but I would race if there was something because I would still be fit, but I wouldn't try to race every weekend because to me, it would just completely destroy my body. Right. And then I wouldn't have a good cross season. And I know this because I screwed that up a couple of times. Right. Yeah. So all the cross seasons that I had that were really good. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't race for those two months in the summer, but I trained pretty hard. Right. Okay. But I would do it at like five in the morning or I would do it in the evening and do night rides. So I wasn't like in the heat in the middle of the day. Totally. So there is some downtime. You're still riding yeah. you're training yeah. by a little sure. less intensity, but yeah, that's, that's, it's interesting. I mean, I think that's really good for people to hear because you can't just throttle it all year long. And you kind of, like you're saying, you pick and choose like, okay, I'm going to, if there's races that come up, maybe I'll go, maybe I won't go. I don't expect to win because I want to do well at cross. I think right. things like now that everyone's seen all these disciplines available, everybody wants to do everything. And it's like, you got to have some focus. You got to have like, and I just actually made a video of people trying to understand when you're talking about doing the two days, riding to work, all your training's done. And like people that a guy asked me through a YouTube comment, like what's the difference between peaking for an a race versus trying to race every weekend for like a series to get upgrade points and i'm like dude if you're racing every weekend for upgrade points you don't need a ton of training you're getting a race every weekend you're doing like right. a, a local race on a tuesday night or a hard workout the other time man you're like getting ready for the next race which is in three days um 
every, there's so much intensity that people feel like they have to be doing so many hard workouts. I'm like, it's not, you don't need yeah. to do that many. Yeah. You're doing like three, like really hard workouts during the week and then trying to race every weekend. You're not going to be very good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to get really tired and you're going to, you're going to go through what I call the three year burnout. And like, I've seen so many guys with tons of potential, way more potential than me, way fitter than me, better mindset than me. Right. But they burn out in three to four years because they just try to take it all in so quick. Like, oh, just give it to me. I'm going to race. I'm yeah. going to train. I'm going to beat your ass on this group ride. I'm going to, you know, and it's like, whoa, dude, just calm down. Dude. <laughs> take a deep breath. Right? We need to be talking about this more. Like how yeah. it is a – I had a guy 16 months in who was like, yo, dude, I want to be doing stuff you're doing. I see you doing like 280-watt back-to-back five-hour rides on the weekend like why am I not doing that I'm like because I've ridden a hundred thousand miles more than you and I was not doing this 80,000 miles ago right. I was talking to Jim Miller the other week uh the guy who runs USA Cycling like their performance and he made the comments like dude people don't get faster in a year and yeah. but we're not teaching people that I don't think I think it is like all these like hey man here's your 12-week FTP builder you're going to be crushing it's like you're going to improve because you're riding consistently. That's you it. Have, you're like scratching the surface. Patience yeah. and just keep being consistent. Like we both love riding a bike, which is why I think we've had success. Like we're going to be doing it whether there's a race or not. 100% um, right there. And COVID was a huge – I actually didn't lose many athletes because a lot of the people I coached just love riding and training. We're like, all right, let's think of better ways – Let's think of more ways you can improve for down the line. They're going to be riding anyways. But there are a few people who are like, oh, no races, I'm out. And it's like, that's a weakness, I think. Like, you got to love to just ride if you want to be good for a long time. Do you feel like that's part of your duty as a coach is to try to help change that mindset a little bit? It depends. So I would, you know, talk to them about, well, okay, so you're training specifically for races. If you continue to train this year, you'll be better at your races next year. Now, that the fact there's no litmus test for you to test yourself against other people this year, if that bothers you and you're not motivated to train, your training is going to be garbage. So, I mean, I guess just go ride. But, you know, I don't necessarily know if I – I want someone that like wants to be here, wants to do the workouts, wants sure. to be like stoked about it. So if I have to convince them of that, I'm sort of like, eh, eh, like go do your thing. Yeah. It's cool. I don't, I didn't necessarily mean like convincing them, but you know, people get so lost in their head. Right. So like, yeah. Oh, definitely. Kind of re-encourage that thought process of like, Hey, taper <laughs> it down a notch. Let's keep the training going. Let's stay focused. Right. Oh, yeah. But like, I actually, I mean, like, I love racing bikes, but I actually like those downtimes in the year, mm-hmm. those six to eight weeks when I'm not racing. Mm-hmm. Because then, like, it's like what you're doing right now. You're you're going out and smashing these rides, right? Like, you're doing these huge rides, and I'm like, man, that's so awesome. That feels good. Because if you crack in the middle of one, you're not <laughs> racing tomorrow, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like you're just training, you're just rebuilding your system and you're making your motor that much stronger. So when it does happen, you're ready, right? Yeah. And that like, there's no stress with that, right? Like there's no stress with that at all. All you got to do is just get out and do it, you know? And that oh, to cool. me is like the funnest part about it is that you can just go out and do it. And that's just kind of how I look at it. 
myself is like, I'm just going to keep doing that stuff all the time. So then when I do see a race where I'm like, okay, I want to race, then I, whatever I'm doing, I taper it down and just readjust Mm -hmm. and polish up my form and go into that next race ready Mm -hmm. to rock. You know, totally. That's uh, yeah. It's, we've been trying to talk about like just turning the dials like, Oh, I'm going to have to go. That's going to be like a ton of VO2 max in that race with this five minute climb. I need to like fine tune that way or, okay, I'm going to go do an eight hour gravel race. Like I should probably be able to ride six and a half hours by myself. No problem. Yeah. Um, what's so four time national champion cross gravel. Yeah. Cross gravel. Um, and then two mountain bike marathon. One of them was single speed. One of them was age group, uh, 35, 39. That was last year. Yeah. So I did, so three of those were in the same season. Those were in 2018, between January. <laughs> Dude, I did realize that. That's insane. Yeah, it was cool. It, it was weird because, like, I did the cross one, and I was kind of surprised when I went to Reno and won that. I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. Like, this yeah. is pretty awesome. Like, I mean, I trained pretty hard, and I was riding really good. Like, I had been racing. You know, I had my, like, my UCI, like, my pro cross license, so I would – through the whole season, I would, I would travel and I would just race those yeah. right when I could. And then when I raced at nationals, I raced masters, which some people look at and they're like, man, that's kind of lame, dude. Like you should race pro. But I mean, I'm maybe like a top 15 guy in the pro race on a good day, maybe top 10, you know, I had some, I had some UCI points that year, but like if I can win a national championship, I mean, I'm 36 years old, like, to me that just I should do that because that's a lot cooler at my age to do that and have those championships, but then still be able to battle in the pro race because I'm not getting a paycheck. You know what I mean? So theoretically by definition of professional, I'm not a professional because I don't get a paycheck, but it's weird because we've had this conversation before because it's still professional level athleticism in a way. Right. Yeah. But I'd rather face the Masters to do Yeah, man. I mean, I think that's a tough call. And I think at that point, like you're saying, when you're 36, it's like, okay, I can qualify for a Masters race. I think I'm going to go try and get the W. Um, Because Masters racing is hard as hell. And it's not like that's going to be a walk in the park. And actually, if you – people watch the interview uh, Cyclocross Magazine did with you – your first comment when you're talking about the pace, you're like, they're like, so how'd that race start off? And you were like, oh my God, this is nuts. The pace was insane. And I, and you came over the hill and like bridged the gap to those guys and was like, what, what is going on right now? Yeah. What's the, I mean, it's going to turn into like a, 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 how to have like the best mental capability in a race. Like, what are you thinking? Whether it be a cross race or road race. I mean, there are plenty of road races that we've been in together where it's like, oh my God, what's going on right now? The pace is insane. What are you telling yourself? What do you think? Are you thinking anything? Like, usually I'm saying it's going to slow down. It has to at some point. Yeah. Um, but it's just mentally just keep, just keep going. I'm, I'm the exact same way. And so back to my number one on the training thing, the mental aspect, mm-hmm. that's part of the mental aspect. And that's why a lot of people don't do as well as they're capable of because they don't allow themselves to think, oh, it's going to slow down. They're like, holy crap, these guys are going so fast. Okay, they're just better than me. Mm-hmm. I'll just settle for seventh or, or yeah. whatever. I, you know what I'm Pull saying? Pull the shoot. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you're guaranteed 
you know, what's that Henry Ford quote? Whether you believe you can or you can't, you're right. Okay. Have you yeah. heard that? That's like a really cool quote, right? So, well, if you quit chasing them and they get away, you're definitely going to lose, right? Yeah. But if you hang and you do whatever you have to do, just head down, just gut it out and hang on that wheel, and it's going to slow down at some point, you're at least still in the battle, mm-hmm. right? You're at least still in the mix, right? And it's different on, like, road and mountain and cross, right? Like, you know, when, when somebody gets a gap on you and cross, like, five seconds, dude, sometimes might as well be five miles, right? Because it's all about how smooth you're riding. Every corner matters. Every dismount matters. Every remount matters. I mean, dude, so cross is an hour long. That's, that's what it is. Like, it's an hour to an hour five, depending on how laps work out. If some guy might be five, 10 seconds in front of you for like 45 minutes. Yeah. Right. Whereas like on the road, if there's some dude off the front, because the, the Peloton will potentially be so big that five seconds, you don't worry about five seconds. I mean, hell, you don't even worry about 30 seconds sometimes. Yeah. Like, you know, if you got 80 guys in the field and there's three guys that are 30 seconds and they're not represented because obviously yeah. team tactics matter you don't worry about that. Right. But in cross, that's the race. That Mm -hmm. could be, those guys probably, you're not bringing them back as a group. It's all an individual effort basically to bring them back. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just different racing dynamic, you know? So in that particular race at nationals, a couple of guys just like drilled it. And I was like, Whoa, I got it. I, I, but dude, I came here to win this race. Yeah. You guys want to win this race. They're yeah. going really hard. I got to go really hard. Right. Yeah. So I just don't, it's just like a survival thing at that point. And then you catch them and then you get with them and then you start playing the mental game with them. You know, you start attacking a little bit just to see how they answer. And then you maybe put in one big bold attack. Mm-hmm. And if you start dropping them, you commit, you mm-hmm. go all in. And that's what I did. I think it was about 10 to 15 minutes in, if I remember. And I just twisted the throttle and I just held it and kept my gap. And then I almost lost it on the last lap. Yeah. I actually like was passing, like lapping a dude. And it was on this muddy section and he wouldn't get, he, he wouldn't move. And the dude in second was like maybe 15 seconds back. Right. Which is pretty far, but it's still, I mean, it's 15 seconds. So it's not that far. Yeah. I went to pass this guy and he hit me. And I went into the barrier tape and it, and it wrapped up in my wheel on the last lap. Dude, I swear to God with like maybe like three minutes left to go (laughs) in the race. Right. So I'm like, Holy crap. So I'm like yanking out the tape. And if like, you probably can't find it now, but on the Twitter feed for USA cycling, they were actually posting about it. They're like, Holy crap. The leaders wrapped up in tape. Oh my God, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I wasn't freaking out because my head's in the game, right? So I'm like, yeah. okay, get this, get it rideable, and then go. But the dude that got second literally was like four seconds behind me at this point. And it was basically like a four-second drag race all the way to the finish line, and it was nuts. Damn. It, yeah. It was, yeah crazy. Yeah, so, yeah. But, <laughs> Which one uh, felt the best? Maybe that one because it was so chaotic at the end? Yeah. So, yeah, that one, that one felt good. And I had uh, – the previous year I had – wrecked at marathon nationals where i like had a high expectation to win mm-hmm. i wrecked like 15 minutes into the race and broke a bunch of ribs and had to pull out so then i recovered from that trained through the summer had a had that cross season so that one felt the best because 
I felt like I had failed the year before mm. at, the, at the marathon race. But then I got redemption on the guy that won. He's a buddy of mine. Um, he's a buddy of mine now. His name's Ben Shackley. But we had a really good battle the following year in 18 at, uh, at Marathon Nats when I got the single speed victory there. So Sweet. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, what, I mean, we're going, this is, uh, I think this kind of ties into almost the mental side too. Do you have any habits or routines, whether it be training or racing that you think help you get ready for that on the start line feeling of being calm, feeling prepared, um, things that you're just like, you know, I'm going to do this and this just makes me tick along. Yeah. So I think, I think I just made myself, enjoy the start line if that makes sense so I don't know if I've ever told you this but I've told a bunch of people this my one of my favorite parts of the race is rolling up to the start line because you have the you have the choice you have the option of how you want to look at it you can either be intimidated you can be you can be scared or you can roll up to the start line and you can look everybody in the eye and basically without saying any words say I'm about to whoop your ass. Yeah. I'm not scared by any of you guys. I'm not intimidated. Like, I love this feeling. Look at my hands. I'm calm. Right. And like, it's like the calm before the storm. And then, you know, your training's paid off or, you know, it's going to pay off. You know, you're there for a reason. So like, I think I, I think I made myself think that way by the amount of times I've been on a start line. Yeah. That's you know. That's good. That's good advice that I'm going to take to heart because I still, you know, it's like you feel the heart rate increasing and you do. I like remind myself like, dude, I've done the training. I think it's more when I'm at a UCI race or, you know, pros come down. If, if it's like a, you know, P, a true P1 race, um, it's easy to, to get in your own head and I, I've referenced this before. This guy, when I did bat and kill, I came in third. It, was, it wasn't an NRC race back then. The pro teams could only have three riders per team. But I'm standing there thinking, like, I'm so outmanned here. I had one teammate with me. And I'm like, this is going to be insane. And this guy from my club was there. And he's like, yo, dude, everybody puts the shorts on the same way. You've done the training. And it was an early April race. So it's like, I'm thinking to myself, like, yeah, dude, I've ridden a ton this winter. I've been in my basement. like just go race. Don't even. And play your cards right. And just race. You know how to race and you're going to surprise yourself. Even somebody like you who like, I've told numerous people about you and like a lot of people know who you are. And I'm like, I'm like, man, Hausler is honest to God, like the strongest dude I've ever raced with in my entire life. Definitely not. Like every time I race with you, I'm like, Oh yeah, we can count on Hausler. Yeah. He's going to be there. He's going to be in it. But then like, even you, somebody who trains as much as you do and knows the numbers as much as you do and as, as, as smart as you are, you still have those like somewhat insecurities with your ability, even though you shouldn't because you're a phenomenal athlete, right? And you do, I mean, you're, you're a great bicycle racer, right? But like even guys like you and guys like me, we occasionally have that and it's okay mm-hmm. as long as – you're able to just knock it down and get confident and stay focused and get back in that mental game. Because if you don't, there's no point in being there. It's you really have to, when I talk to an athlete and say like, Hey man, are you ready for this weekend? 
and they're like, well, I'm going to do my best. I'm like, dude, that, your best right now, that's not a winning. You're not winning. Like, you need, I need to go in, even though I'm there and I'm, like, getting nervous. I've already been out. Like, I'll look around. Like, I might be in the middle of Arkansas or nowhere. And I'll practice a post-up. And it feels weird. But that feeling is, like, you got to imagine yourself that you're going to win. Because when it gets really hard, like you said before, oh, people throw it. These guys are better than me. And they ride away. That's what's going to happen if that's what you're thinking. Like, right. You know, that guy's yeah. quote is right. If you think you can't do it, you're not going to do it. Um, yeah, you got you to gotta manifest the win, right? You have, to, you have to visualize the win. And you can't just visualize the win like when you get to a race. You visualize yeah. the win in the training. Yeah. You visualize what you're doing while you're training so you know that you're there, right? If you can dream it, you can, if you can do that, you can manifest that into a reality, right? I don't, I don't know if you – if you've ever read this book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. I, I, it, you know, it's funny. I got to read it again because it didn't resonate with me as much as like everyone loves that book. But I know that's yeah. one of your favorites was on your list. But tell yeah, me, yeah. tell me about that. Well, it's, it's basically what it is. It's kind of, it's kind of open for interpretation. You know, all throughout the book, he talks about, you know, like one, it's going to hit you at one point, like while you're reading all this, all this text you're going to figure out what I'm talking about. And to me, my interpretation is that if you believe in yourself and, and you truly believe in what you're doing, it doesn't matter how many times you fail. If you truly believe that you can succeed, you will find a way to succeed, right? If you stick with it and push through it. And then it's, if you did fail a lot getting to that point, it's even that much more powerful once you find that and you're capable because everybody's capable. Mm-hmm. everybody's capable of greatness no matter what it is with with business or relationships or finances or cycling whatever it is everybody's capable you just have to believe every day and keep pushing for that goal and keep pushing no matter who says what no matter how negative people are you have to fight for it and you will find it right and that's that to me is what that whole book's about which kind of a whole nother conversation i mean there's like there's like Facebook groups where those guys are like, they just like love that book and they're talking about it. I'm like, okay, cool. The book's really cool, but read the book and then go back to your own life. Yeah. And move forward. Right. Right. So, uh, no man, they also say like people are, people usually quit right before they're about to have a breakthrough. And like, you know, they have so many stories of whether it is business or athletic pursuits or, some type of success where people who have reached their goal look back in retrospect and was like, I was about to quit. And then X, Y, and Z happened. And it was like, Oh my goodness. Right. And it's really amazing. You just gotta keep pushing and grinding. And that's, I think part of the reason why there are mostly cat fours and fives because you, it gets hard and people are like, eh, I'm good. Seven hours a week's okay, man. I can take off these five days in a row. You know, it's like no, you can't. Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and and that's the thing. We're talking about small gains, how they make a difference, marginal gains, or you know, even differences in training. I I never realized this until I was talking to this guy earlier this year, and I was like, okay, you're doing eight hours. If you did nine hours, that's over ten percent more training over the year. Ten percent more training. And I didn't really thought about how basic that is. And I'm like, dude, okay, now if I tell people to add two hours and it actually spur the video, can I ride more? If you're riding nine hours a week, hell yeah, you can ride more. You just got to do it the right way. Don't go to five group rides. 
uh, focus yeah, on the I mean, those, those just have so much fluff and I'm like, they're not hard enough and you're just sitting, sitting in half the time. It's like, you can go to a fast group ride, average 25 miles an hour and your TSS is like 40 an hour. Right. And you're just, it's just like, you might as well just go ride to the coffee shop by yourself. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, like it, you're not getting anything out of it. Right. So, but it's amazing. Basic endurance and, uh, trying to help. I guess I don't, I wish I had a power meter when I first started riding because I think back to my ride and I did, I got a coach pretty early on and my cycling in the beginning was very weird. When I look back at it, it was urban. It was like, I would ride through the city of Rochester and I'd have a couple loops, ton of stoplights. So I would just be trying to gas cars off the stop line until the oh, next no. stoplight, like sprinting around just anaerobic, which is what I hate doing. And then I kind of linked up with a guy and we started doing longer rides. And, you know, then you kind of realize like, okay, I can't sprint everywhere. I'm pretty effed after an hour when you first start. Uh, so it's an interesting thing with so many people that when you ask them to execute an endurance ride and it's just like the power is like a crit. And I'm like, dude, you spent 40% in zone one. Like you said, should have just been in the coffee shop. Did yeah. nothing for you. Um, so it's interesting. What's, um, since we're talking about thinking grow rich, how do you want to be remembered when you are no longer here? Because uh... I think it's interesting in that one thing that I think is cool about cycling is, you know, as you said, it's like you're putting your name in history. I think a lot of our peers, a lot of my friends, like maybe they own a business and that continues on. I think when you're an adult and you're still an athlete, like no one can take away that in 2018, if someone looks up who is the national champion, they're going to see your name. Uh, And so, you know, people always say like, well, who's going to be, will people come to your funeral? I think it's like a really big gut check that I'll ask myself, like who am I impacting? It actually gives a crap if I'm gone. Um, What are you trying to maybe in cycling? Maybe not. I mean, maybe what's, and you have a family. So that's a big, you know, instantly you're going to be some, you are somebody's dad. Um, I don't know. So, I'm curious what your thoughts are on like the huge picture of all this. So, you know me pretty well. Like, I feel like my appearance doesn't tell my story, and don't. I'm not talking about the turquoise. I'm just <laughs> talking about like, like people. People may look at me and be like, "Yeah, that guy's probably not a very nice guy," or that guy thinks he's like a tough guy or whatever, right? But truly, in my soul, I feel like. I'm a very nice, respectful person that's open-minded that tries to help everybody, right? It's like my Oklahoma upbringing, you know, like we just, you see some dude driving down the road that's having trouble changing his flat. You just, you pull over and you help him, right? It just is what it is. Like you don't, you don't think like, oh, this guy's going to rob me or anything like that. You just help, right? So I want to be remembered as somebody that was likable, that was respectful, that helped out and everybody appreciated that. Right. And I mean, the cycling stuff's really cool. Like, obviously that's going to go down. Like that'll be remembered. And you know, I'm not done yet. Like I want to win a hundred more. Right. I like, I like getting free jerseys, you know? So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think, I think that's what I want to be remembered by. Like when I'm gone or if I die young or whatever, I want people to like, be like, man, that guy was really cool. That guy really helped me out. And it's really funny because after my wreck in May, I had a lot of people reach out to me to kind of like 
give me that back that were like, Hey man, you don't know me very well, but I've just like really appreciated you over the years because every time I've seen you at a race, you've been cool and you've given me advice. Mm-hmm. You've gone out of your way to give me advice. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was like, unsolicited like you weren't trying to get a coaching client you weren't trying to make money from me right you were just trying to be helpful and I feel like that's that's very true with myself I feel like that's just the kind of person I am and that's how I want people to see me you know cool that's awesome man I love that yeah what uh what emoji are you (laughs) what emoji (laughs) uh shoot I don't know dude what emoji are you I think I'm probably, I think maybe the unicorn head. Nice. Uh, Because I think, you know, I think a unicorn is definitely going to be an athletic animal. I've actually obviously never seen one. Um, Obviously represents pride, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I actually thought about that when I asked Whitney, because I was curious. Whitney uh, is one of my teammates this year, and he does a ton of ultra stuff. When this guy, he just did a 200-mile ride, like, oh, I'm going for a ride on Saturday. I'm going to go bang out 200 miles. Like, he Great. makes me feel insignificant, which I love. I text him, and he makes me feel better. He's like, yo, dude, you're the one with the, with the mega jewels, though. And I'm like, all right. I mean, I'll take that pat on the back. But, like, I'm really jealous that you can ride 220 miles whenever you want. So, you know, I think probably – I think I'm going to go with that just because I think also if I'm going to pick a symbol, it's something that I'm trying to like get a message across. And I feel like this is accidental that I'm wearing a, a pride shirt. I actually just ordered this through Brooks, this through Brooks. What do you? So I don't, I don't know if these two things are emojis, but it just, it just kind of made me laugh. And like a majority like, of my life. Okay. Okay. So a majority of, of my life, like, I'm pretty serious about not being serious, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, part of me's pretty serious, but then part of me's not. So, if there was a shocker emoji, that's what I am. But it would be a guy, like a silhouette of a guy with a really sweet mullet doing the shocker. Okay. Right? Because mullets are pretty cool, and I'm actually going to have a mullet here before too long. Like, mullets are cool because they're so damn funny – you you might look at a guy that's wearing a mullet and that you're like, man, that guy's a tough guy, but he's got a mullet. That's you know not what I mean? okay. Yeah, I, was like, I don't think tough guy when I see mullet. No, but like, but like, but yeah. here's the deal. It's kind of like wearing turquoise, right? You got to own that shit, right? So if you're wearing a mullet, you're a pretty strong, secure dude, right? You know what I'm saying? So like, this like big tough guys wearing a mullet, and you're like, that guy, that guy's hardcore. <laughs> You know what I mean? But, but he's having fun. So you can't take him too serious. So I think that's what it would be, but I don't know if that's actually an emoji or not. And I literally, not, but we're, you know, I'm going to make it like, what's the, what's the uh, symbol? Because that's good. You should make, you know how like all the pro like MLB or NBA has like the guy shooting the free throw. It's like half, uh, blue, yeah. half red. You should make that with like the, that would be pretty funny. It is. Whatever it is. <laughs> Amazing. Dude. Uh, What's this has been great? A ton of really great information for I think not only new cyclists, uh, anybody that's been riding a bike and just trying to get better. You have a wealth of experience. I appreciate you sharing it. What are maybe what's maybe a parting word from? Oh wait, actually one more question. So what is the turquoise? What's the what got you into this? Is there a meaning behind it? Or are you just like yo, this looks dope? Well, so I'm I'm 
I'm Native American. I'm citizen Potawatomi. Um, so I have I have heritage with it, right? I don't know if I knew that. So okay. Yeah. So our tribe is based out of Shawnee, Oklahoma. So it's east of town. Dad's miles. side, mom's side. Uh, dad's side. Okay. Yeah, dad's side. Yeah. Um, other than other than that, I I just think it's really cool. Like if you actually do some of the research on turquoise and sterling and how the old school like Navajo jewelers like started making their jewelry and actually like became something from nothing mm-hmm. and, and like built this whole culture around it. To me, that's really cool. And, yeah. and turquoise is funny because it's only found in certain parts of the world and it's mainly found in the Southwest part of the United States, right? Like okay. Southern Colorado, Nevada, New Mexico, Arizona. So obviously that's why it's so big with Native American culture. Cause like I said earlier, that area is one of the oldest inhabited areas in, you know, in the U S it's the oldest continually inhabited. Like people have lived there forever. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I just get addicted to things. So like once I bought this cuff right here, it was like game on. It's I was over. like, I gotta, I was like, well, now I got to get some rings that are significant. And then I had to get this, you know, squash blossom necklace because it's significant, you know. Um, and I just think this – I think the turquoise looks really good on me, you know. Dude, I mean, other people have their opinions, but – Yeah. But, uh, and it's cool. Like, like this cuff, it's from a maker. His name's Henry Rowanhorse. He's a Navajo artist. He died 15 years ago. This turquoise is from a mine called Sleeping Beauty. They don't mine it anymore. So, so a cuff like this – will never be made again like this stamped by Henry Rowanhorse, right? Yeah. So this stuff was actually made in the seventies. Wow. You know, so this thing has a ton of history. Yeah. So to me, it's, it's almost an investment. You know, a lot of jewelry can be an investment depending on how you buy it. You know, totally. so I paid top awesome. dollar for that one. I got a good deal on this one though. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Dude. Thank you. What's your parting word for the people? Um, you tell me parting word just keep pushing just keep trying right hell yeah cool? i love just, that keep trying felt, man. keep trying know, felt, or start or start trying start trying today's the best day like yeah. you can procrastinate your whole life and never move forward and always think man i want to do this or you know it's so cool that you're doing this cool you can too everybody can everybody's capable of anything you put your mind to if you believe it you can achieve it. And that sounds really cliche, but it's absolutely true. And people lose sight of that. Just keep trying. Dude, I saw, I always, you always hear, I'll see it when I believe it. And the first time I ever saw written down, I'll believe it when I see it. Wait, no, flip it. I'll believe when I see it is what people always say. And then I'll see it when I believe it. And the first time I read that, I was like, whoa, duh. Just start moving. It absolutely makes sense. So, hey man, thanks be money. It's great to catch up, and I look forward to watching more of the adventures online. See you, dude. Yeah, dude, thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. All right. Bye. Bye.